On today's episode of Smart Talk, Tara Sloan from Rogers Hometown Hockey is joining me, and uh, and thank you, Tara, so much for um, um sir, for joining the call today. My absolute pleasure. So, on all of the stops that that you and Ron have done on Rogers Hometown Hockey, um, over you know, I mean, like over like the years, are there like a few towns that have, you know, that have been particularly impressive from like a community? perspective and junior hockey perspective as well i mean we've done like 150 so i always feel (laughs) a little bit strange singling um stops out because i think you know every community fancies itself the most community oriented and and it's true like I, i think what we've discovered is you know in the name of hockey um and in the name of community it just people tend to to really come together and show their enthusiasm. So um, I think when it comes to just being memorable in general, I mean, for us, our, our First Nations stops have been really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of interaction with First Nations. And then a few years ago, we're hosted on Enoch Cree Nation, which is just outside Edmonton. And then the following year, we were in um, Peguis, which is in Manitoba. And this year, we were supposed to be uh, on Six Nations of the Grand River. But of course, everything is is on hold for the moment. So those have been very special to us, um, just being able to, to shine a light on uh, the, the culture, the First Nations, the stories, um, you know, I think many of which haven't really been told enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to sort of the junior hockey perspective, I mean, I would just t- off the top of my head, I, I would say, first of all, that I guess I, I didn't, you know, Ron is really the historian. Ron's been everywhere. And for me, it's a, it's a new education every week. So, I mean, there are just some, some fascinating legacies, like the new Westminster Bruins and a place that we've always hoped to go, um, trail you know to talk about the smoke eaters but certainly that part of the country cranbrook and and kimberly and and that part of of british columbia um we were just in in air ontario which is a tiny little hamlet where now they have a junior b team because the centennials um, took over the kitchener dutchman uh junior b franchise so i mean there's so many stories like that um stratford and and their really long junior hockey legacy and then, you know, you see the also just the real competitive nature. Obviously, the, the CHL is incredible. Um, but I think more and more as, as time goes on, there's recognition that junior A hockey is is a, a really viable route to the NHL as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to see the players coming out of the BCHL, the, the players coming out of, of just junior A across the country, it's been really cool. I had also wanted to talk about what's been going on in our sport. I mean, like, as well as, like, the world, but in particular to, I'm sorry, but in particular to our sport, the last few years have definitely been, you know, more painful to watch, you know, as, you know, as news breaks. Recently, the bigger headline news news piece um you know was you know was in regards to Kyle Beach um you know but um you know but i mean throughout the years we've seen the game at times not adhere um you know to what 
to what is necessary in order for you know as in order for the game to continue to grow um you know as you know as we you know as we've seen racism sexism um you know as well as power struggles especially in, in the case of Kyle Beach and you're and I want to call it like monologue monologue that you had the Kyle Beach stuff came out it's very impactful for uh you know for a lot of the community just to hear you know what you know what you had to say in terms of um you know in terms of like you know in terms of like the game and like you know and the people behind the game you know taking backseat to humanity if you know um and uh yeah and i you know and i have want to get your take in terms of you know in terms of what needs to be done from you know from a you know from a junior hockey uh perspective you know as well as a as well as a ncaa perspective as both uh, have dealt with their controversial subjects from from time to time what needs to be done you know from achl and ncaa perspective um you know in order um you know in order to eliminate as much uh racism sexism and and any power struggle dynamics um you know in order for us to just continue to grow the game I mean, it's such a huge question, and and I think the answer is so multifaceted, multi-pronged. Um, that you know, if I if I had the the magic bullet, or if anybody did, I, I think we you know it would have been enacted by now. I I think the fact is that it has to happen at every level. Um, mm-hmm. For sure, though, I I think at the at the top levels when you're talking about the NHL, and you're talking about the USHL, CHL. Uh, NCAA, um, there are things that they can do and they can model to, Mm -hmm. you know, that trickles down to, to minor hockey and so on. Um, I I think for sure, part of it is zero tolerance. Um, Mm -hmm. part of it is engaging in conversations. And I, I do feel a little bit hopeful that, you know, now the, not just the NHL has, um, brought in Sheldon Kennedy and the respect group to, to start you know, doing some work and creating some dialogue surrounding sexual abuse and and just the ability to have hard conversations. Uh, And my understanding is that is actually going to be rolled out in the junior hockey and, you know, the AHL, ECHL, a bunch of different levels and and women's hockey as well. Um, I, you know, I just, but the real question is like how, how do you impart upon players and executives mm-hmm. that it yeah. has to be people before money and that yeah. it has to be people first? Yeah. And I just think that can't start at, at any one place. Like we, you know, we go to a, go to a high level game with eight year olds yeah. and, you know, you'll see that it, it's, it's win at all costs already. So we're teaching our children, you know, that it's like this team mentality, that it's everything for the game, 
Um, you don't want to stand out too much. So, I mean, it, it's just, there's so many layers, but yeah. I certainly think that the, the top levels of hockey have to start modeling um, some actionable, actionable items. And it is going to start with, with zero tolerance, with penalties, with not <laughs> recycling, you know, yeah. this, this coaching carousel with bringing in new faces and new bodies and, and representation in mm -hmm. the world, people with different experiences and different skill sets. Um, not just the same old, same old when it comes to like, that's a hockey person. And mostly that hockey yeah. person is, you know, a white man. So I just, it's gonna, it, it's a big, big job. I appreciate that, um, you know, Kim Davis and the people surrounding her at the NHL have their work cut out for them, but, um, it's it's going to be the same at the CHL level. They they have to you know start having real conversations about what what priorities need to be. And one of the barriers that I don't think that you know sorry you know that I don't think that people talk a lot about you know is from you know is from a mental health perspective too. You know mm -hmm. when you look at um you know when you look at teams that employ therapists. For me, I wonder, you know, I wonder how comfortable players are going to, um, sorry, you know, you know, going to that therapist, um, you know, in disclosing, you know, what, you know, what is going on with them, because I mean, at the same point, you know, that, you know, that therapist is technically, you know, being, um, you know, you know, being paid by the, you know, sorry, you know, being paid by the team, you know, and while there is supposed to be, you know, doctor patient potentiality if i was a player you know um you know playing at the pro level you know i you know i could see you know i could definitely see myself feeling you know more and more discouraged you know from um you know from going to a team therapist because you know it's not you know it's not always a given you know that whatever i'm going to disclose is going to remain um you know is going to remain confidential um you know, what are, you know, um, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, trying to, um, you know, uh, sorry, you know, trying to um, ensure that, you know, ensure that we can address mental health in terms of, um, you know, in terms of giving players, you know, more of a comfortable uh, environment in order, you know, in order to, you know, in order to, to seek the therapy to give them the ability to, you know, to combat, um, you know, as many mental health challenges that come up? Well, I think you're right. I think if, um, if confidentiality cannot be ensured, then for the, of course, players have every reason not to want to have these really vulnerable conversations. I do think part of, you know, what, what Sheldon Kennedy's group is doing and what I think, you know, should be happening at every level is that, um, you know, people need to be taught how to have hard and, and challenging and vulnerable conversations, right? It's mm -hmm. not a given that people even know how to engage. Yep. Um, so I think that's part of it is, you know, I, I do think that these like workshop scenarios, um, 
are, are going to be really, really important. Uh, I think seeing more players like like Carey Price, you know, seeing mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Drouin, like players taking their mental health seriously and being open about it. I think that's important. Um, but I think you're right. I, I think with these two kind of workshop scenarios, I think there has to, there have to be outlets outside uh, of the team umbrella, mm -hmm. yeah. um, these third party uh, organizations that, that can help and, and provide, you know, that, that pipe, that pipeline or whatever they, you know, whatever is necessary, you know? Um, yep. so I, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about how the team psychologist works, but I, I would be wary too. Right. If, a, if yep. it was like my workplace was like, here, talk to our, you yeah. know, Rogers doctor about your <laughs> mental state and be like, no, I'm going to go talk to somebody completely yeah. private. So, um, but I do think it, it starts with just having hard conversations and i also think it's important to hear from people in in real life you know like mm -hmm. not do like some online a mandatory 30 minute seminar yep. that you just click off on but like have in-person sessions and seminars um with people who have been through mental health journeys and and who have you know benefited from doing work. I think that stuff is going to be important from a mental health level. I think that's going to be important from a, a sexual abuse level. Um, I think, you know, from a, an anti-racism level, I think all of those things are like, they have to be really immersive and they mm -hmm. have to be personalized because yep. otherwise you, you're just looking at a screen and it just kind of, you know, yeah. goes right by you. You know, and from a a growth perspective too. I want to say it was last year when, when like Nazem Kadri and Wayne, sorry, and Wayne Simmons and Matt Dumba and a few other NHL players created the Hockey Diversity Alliance. I saw the tape that they actually uh, came out with the other day, um, and you know, and what you know, and what other initiatives need to, um, you know, need to take place, you know, from, um, you know, from your, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, at the, you know, at the NHL level, and you know, and what do you think is maybe feasible? um you know to replicate at the i certainly think whatever is happening at the nhl level should be able to be at least somewhat replicated on a junior hockey level considering there's so much uh investment tied up these uh players don't get paid so i think the, <laughs> the least we can do to to um you know really pay them is to educate them into upstanding citizens uh i don't know offhand you know who the the best groups are that are doing these types of, of education programs, but there are lots, you know, I mean, even mm -hmm. when the Kyle beach story, um, came out, you know, we were able to bring in a, a former athlete, um, who, you know, spoke to our group about how to talk about, you know, sexual abuse and, and sex assault. So yeah. there are lots of people doing this work. And again, I, I really think personal stories are, are important. Um, so but I, I don't think it's hard for 
the NHL, the CHL, whomever to do due diligence and, and find, yep. find the right people to, to do that work. And Tara, do you mind sharing your Twitter handle and, um, uh, and what are the next uh, few stops on the Rogers hometown hockey tour? Well, my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle, it's all the same. So it's at Tara Sloan, T-A-R-A-S-L-O-N-E. Um, I, you know, anyone's guess as to when we're going to get back on the road with Rogers hometown hockey. I mean, we, we stopped in mid-December um, and we've missed several stops. So, I mean, I think all of us are just hoping we do get back on the road this season. Um, yeah. As soon as Monday games resume, because we've, we've also had a bunch of postponed games, um, fingers crossed, we should be in studio uh, resuming production for hometown hockey on January 24th. It's a Montreal, Minnesota game, but you know, every time we think we have a Monday game, it, they keep getting postponed. So yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we'll at least, you know, we'll at least have shows, even if they're just from Toronto. Definitely looking forward, forward to more Rogers hometown hockey, um, you know, and once things return back to semi-normal, um, exactly. you know, I, and I can't, you know, um, you know, and I can't wait to see where, you know, where you and Ron go next. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it. The next interview that you will be hearing is from Jill Plandowski, a skating instructor based in Nova Scotia. On today's episode of Small Talk, Jill Plandowski um, is um, sorry is joining me, um, and she is a skating instructor based in Nova Scotia. Um, and Jill, thank you so much for um, sorry, Jill, thank you so much for joining the call. Thanks for having me. So, Jill, so I want to pick your brain about um, you know about skating um, for a bit, and so. When it comes to scouting players, it's not often that you see players that have a knock knee, you know, but when it comes to notable players, I'm sorry, in the 2021 NHL draft, we saw the LA Kings uh, take Brand Clark. Um, and Brand Clark has a, you know, um, has a knock knee, and it's, um, you know, and there are, you know, and there are a few other prospects you know, as well that have the same knee condition, um, you know, from, you know, from your expert uh, opinion, you know, when it comes to skating development, you know, how, you know, how challenging can it be for prospects to, um, you know, to correct that knee placement? First of all, I really believe everyone can get better. I've worked with um, a lot of guys, boys and girls who have dramatically improved. Um, if you're willing to put the time and effort in it, I really do believe that everyone can improve and try to maximize their potential, whatever their potential might be. So knock knee skaters really rely heavily on their hip flexors and internal rotators. And so there needs to be a lot of glute and squat work and a lot of work on that posterior chain and lower abs. So knowing that, um, it really depends on the player. The player has to 
be really dialed in and, you know, obviously meet with their trainer and discuss what has to happen. And that's, that's a long process and it, it, it requires a real commitment from the player. But even if that can improve, then you have to bring in the on ice portion and the player has to be equally committed to redoing balance slide, stride, all the basics, edge work. Um, but if they're able to step back and make the corrections with quality movements, then they will be more efficient and they will play better minutes. Now, in junior, it's tough because, you know, ice time is limited, access to trainers limited. So it's got to be almost in an ideal scenario for this all to happen in season. And then out of season, um, same thing, like it's a huge commitment, but also the time and the money and the resources to get on the ice. I just, it's, it's tough to find a perfect scenario where this can happen, and I'm not saying it can't, but it, because it definitely can, it's just um, the player has to realize that the onus is going to be on them once they've learned the adjustments off the ice and then dial back in on the ice at the same time, but also, you know, continuing to think about it because they just always want to go back to that movement that feels comfortable that turning those knees in. So, yeah, yeah but it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, and that isn't the only knee challenge, you know, that players have. I mean, like the other big one, I mean, is ankle flexing. And, and with that being said, you know, if the knee and the toe of like the skate don't align well, mm -hmm. you know, what do you, you know, what do you uh, typically recommend that players do in order to, um, you know, yeah. in order to correct that knee uh, placement. Yeah, ankle flexion, like ankle rocker and mo ankle mobility is is huge. Um, you'll find great skaters have great ankle mobility. Um, so that flexion, which allows you to drive that knee over the toe forward is really important to, to, to be low and to get a long stride. And um, what happens is if you don't have that movement, you're going to move around that joint and make other movements happen so that you can do what you want to do. So, you know, skaters adapt, like especially the best skaters, they're very adaptable. But that being said, great skaters do have that great ankle rocker mobility. Sometimes, Josh, it's their skates are too tight, which sounds very simple, but you'd be shocked with how many guys just have their skates so restrictive. You want to have, um, stability, but you want to have mobility. So sometimes I'll suggest um, undo loosening the skates or, you know, fixing the shin guards and, and just um, sometimes they're, they're so tight, they're, they're, they're shin pads. Um, sometimes just loosening the skates can allow and it takes a bit. They first don't like it, but it takes a little bit, but sometimes that happens. And if you, if you look at some of the really top skaters, a lot of them do have really good um, mobility within their skates too. Um, but yeah, ankle mobility also allows you to get that nice long stride and get that toe flick at the end of the stride. Like you can't have that if your skates are too tight as well, or if you're lacking that ankle mobility. So it's funny, like when I warm up, I often get guys to sit really low and see if they can get their knees over their toe, like sit with their butt right on their ankles and the ones who don't fall back. So I instantly say, okay, ankles, we need to work on those. 
and that there's lots of different sites on Instagram and I've, I've saved four or five. So I'll forward them off and I'll say, try some of these ankle mobilities, talk to your trainer, tell them that it's an issue on the ice and try to get, even if it's like two or three minutes a day, sitting, watching TV, just working on the ankles, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, like you talked about, you know, how, um, you know, how skates can be a little bit too tight. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if, um, you know, if a skater's foot is, you know, is a little bit on like the wider side, um, you know, is there, I mean, you know, I mean, like, is there like a, a particular brand or, you know, or a particular skate that, you know, that you think is, a, I mean, that you think is a little bit uh, better in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of adhering to someone's uh, um, you know, foot being slightly wider? Skates are often a preference and all of the top brands have different, um, different sizing options for different feet. And a lot of all these guys, like the older guys would have custom skates. So they'll have what they prefer and they'll have what um, works best for them. Mm-hmm. I, I wear Bauer just because I find it most comfortable for me and I don't have customs and I don't even like the top, top line because I find they're almost too much of a skate for me, for my size. Mm-hmm. And I'm only in a size four skate, so I can still <laughs> get away with the uh, like the junior or intermediate, whatever they are, sizes. So I don't have, you know, top end custom and I skate fine. So mm-hmm. I think it's what works for you. And But I do think um, having stability but mobility is key in order to get your proper ankle flexion and mobility. From an ankle flexion perspective, it is very, very key you know in order to have that knee placement aligned with the you know i mean like all aligned with the toe in order to you know in order to garner like the most you know like in order to garner like the most speed possible um mm-hmm. i mean from i mean and from like an edge perspective too um you know there are you know there are quite a few players that you know that don't you know that don't have you know great posture and don't necessarily lean on them and, you know, and I, you know, and I think that, you know, and I think that there must be a little bit of comfort challenges that each player goes through in terms of growing their comfort level, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to leaning on them. Um, what, um, you know, right. what do you suggest, um, you know, for prospects, you know, that have problems with their inside or outside edges? Yes. Um, um, so, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of guys that are just fast, straight line speed, but it's it's actually hard to find a player that's equally strong on their edges as they are in a straight line. But um, poor edges usually just means that part of their game or that part of their skating is underdeveloped mm-hmm. and they just haven't been exposed to it. You'd be shocked with some of the high level players that I haven't gone until they're 17 or 18 and they don't even, they haven't even been exposed to it. So I get really excited because I can't wait to see what they're going to be like after I get to spend some time with them. And one of the main things you want to do is you kind of have to start back with the stride to make sure their posture is corrected and that they're lined up properly on the right part of the blade before you do any too crazy edge work. And um, a lot of players don't even understand the importance of how you bring your foot under your body to maximize your glide and your speed. 
So I call it toe lock and point. Just the way your foot comes under your body determines how you glide. So think about it. If you bring your foot in and it's all wobbly, it's going to make the leg that's gliding wobble. So there's some little exercises that I like to do at the start um, that kind of go along with the stride and the posture and the balance and glide. And um, once they get that, then I find it's really easy to add the edge work, but you have to start slow with different types of sculling and just getting their balance and that that gets them nice and low and it helps their stride as well and then working on inside and outside edges and one foot edges um, I love edge work there's it's endless <laughs> the amount of different things that I like to do and that can do I find with the older guys it really helps if they can see how they're going to use it in the game so when I watch a game I probably watch it different than a lot of people I'm watching not the shot or the goal, but I'm watching the edge work and the body position that helped make that goal happen. So I love watching like last week, McCarr did two awesome C-step, outside C-step moves that added deception and just like a little stutter step and allowed him to keep going and get open and, and they resulted in two awesome goals. So that's an example of what I'd watch, but I screen record those. And then when we're working on something, I have like, five, 10 different ways that guys have used this move in a game to result in something um, going really well for them. So I find that's important that, and as a former skater, there's not any crazy jump or spin or anything that I can't do, but if I can't show a guy how they're, or girl, how they're gonna use it in a game, it doesn't have the same buy-in effect. So, and I don't wanna waste my time doing stuff, mm -hmm. unless it's like a, you know, three turns that are really nice for useful in developing strong outside edges. I'd use them in a game, but not a lot of guys will use them in a game. But yet it's something that's, you know, beneficial to use and it's not like a crazy, crazy move or anything. But that would be an example. But a lot of these um, prospects just haven't been shown anything. And it's, it, it makes you upset, but it also makes me excited because I think can think, oh, wow, there's so much um, untapped potential. It makes me uh, excited to work with them. And you brought up Kale, but aside from Kale, you know, and guys like uh, Connor McDavid and Matthew Barzell, um, you know, what, you know, what skaters, you know, either, um, you know, either in like the NHL or, um, you know, or in like the PHF, do you think that young girls and boys should, um, sorry, you know, should be watching from, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, should be watching from like a closer perspective? It's um good question, Josh. And, um, you know, when I'm asked this, I often think even the top players, there's different things I like about their skating. Like McDavid, I love the way he crosses his feet and his neutral zone lateral and literate crossovers are phenomenal. Like his cross to stride ratio, like I love watching him for his crossovers. Um, lots of other things, but that's the one thing. Um, like McKinnon, he's so powerful. That's what I appreciate about his stride is just how powerful he is. It's so fun to watch and I'm sure he's hard to um, defend. Brazil, it's his edge work and how low he is that I really like. Like he's really low and he's got that really nice positive shin angle and he's got great ankles. And that's what I appreciate about his skating. And Makar is, he's kind of a combination of everything, but I love as a defenseman, like those other guys in forwards, but as a defenseman, to see him have 
um, the ability to use some of that high end edge work at top speed to his advantage. And there's so like each team only has one or two max offensive defensemen, but to see him use all that almost like a Ford would is really exciting to watch like, almost every night. There's something fun to watch about a kiln car. Um, for the younger kids, um, that's tough because they're, they're still developing. Like um, last year we had um, Xavier Borgo and like Zach Dean, they were high picks and I like stuff about their skating. Um, out West, Owens Elwiger, he glides really well for his size and he gets up ice really quick and I, I like his skating because of all that. Um, I remember in the OHL watching Liam Foody, how fast he was. Um, a skater that comes to mind, he'd be an O1 that I know really well because he's from here and he works. He's at BU as Ethan Phillips. Now, Ethan's a smaller statured skater, but having worked with him, he's one of those kids that there's nothing he can't do that I show him. So that's really exciting. And you can kind of use him as a, a benchmark. Like if Ethan can get it, but if Ethan can't, I'm like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe we <laughs> won't do that. <laughs> But um, he's a fun skater and he just has natural glide. He just glides like the wind and um, he's at BU. So he's a, he's a fun local kid that some of the kids know and he's always around in the summer, but he's a, he's a really nice skater to watch. But just thinking about it, um, I don't like just to watch them on video. Like I usually just watch the kids in my little area and the last couple of years have been really tough with all the shutdowns. Mm -hmm. um, but those are just some of the kids that would be, you know, just recently drafted that are kind of fun to watch. But there's lots of them. But you, it's tough because you can, can get that confused with straight line speed. But you've mm -hmm. got to be able to combine both. And thank you so much, Jill. Players want to if get in touch with you in terms of, um, you know, in terms of skating instruction. So what is the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, most of them around here know who I am just through my my kids or just just from living here and they'll reach out to me um, just on Instagram. They'll send me a direct message um, or an agent. Most of the agents, you know, have my contact info and that's often how I get have kids um, reach out to me is through their agents and then they come in and work with me in the summer. But it's, uh, and this in the winter I'm with little kids, which I love, and it's you get just as much or more joy working with you know twenty twelves <laughs> as you do the top guys because, and when I think about a lot of those O threes who are my son's age group that I've had since they were just in you like nine, they got drafted last year, so that's so exciting to see them progress year by year and uh, just to see some of the success that some of the kids are having, it's really fun.